0: Welcome back to the DSO Decision. I'm your host, Brian Hanks. Um, I am a dental accountant and I work uh, with buyers, sellers on dental transitions all over the country, uh, helping some, yes, with DSOs and uh, with private sales as well. And I'm joined with my uh, co-host for the season, uh, David Cohen. David, hello. How's it going? David is one, probably um, one of, certainly, if not the uh, preeminent dental attorney in the country uh, who specializes in both private and DSO deals. And David, I know your business has gotten very, very busy on the DSO side. Uh, So that's why we have you here is you know what you're talking about. So I'm excited to have you here. Um, this is a 20 episode season, of course, modeled on like a Netflix season that you can binge watch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the goal here is is that we can meet dentists at the moment of decision, right? We uh, if we have an ongoing podcast with an episode a week, uh, you know, someone that got the DSO offer, you know, or that's going to get the DSO offer six months from now, they need the all the same information as somebody that got the offer two years ago. So the attempt here is that somebody can listen to these at will um, when they need to. And um, the, the flow of the season uh, is we want to address the topic of DSOs. Of course, we're going to cover all the questions that come up from dentists. And, and those questions tend to be around um, a Shell Silverstein poem that I've seen called God's Wheel. And I'm going to miss, miss probably quote it exactly, but it's, um, you know, uh, there's a guy standing next to God who's holding the wheel, uh, driving the world. And the God turns to the, uh, the, the person standing next to him and says, you know, do you want to take a turn? Do you want to hold the wheel? And the person tells God, um, sure. Um, where do I sit? How much do I get? When can I quit? God, God says, you're not ready yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, the the every dentist, of course, wants to know, you know, how much do I get? When can I quit? Right. And and um, this episode is an attempt to prep them to say, hey, here are some of the nitty gritty details of the reality of what's going to go into your decision of whether or not to sell to DSO. And yes, we're going to get to the fun stuff of how much you get, how much, when can you quit, um, and uh, what's a normal deal, uh, how much you know can you expect, where can you negotiate, all the, all the cool topics. Um, when it comes to today's topic, restrictive covenants, um, a lot of dentists' eyes glaze over they think they get it, right? But David, I, I would suspect you would agree with me that most dentists are surprised by the level of of commitment in a restrictive covenant on a DSO deal. Uh, First of all, any horror stories that you've seen from dentists uh, that, you know, as they look at a restrict we will of course get into definitions and what's normal and things, but any good stories to start us off?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've had several dentists come to me that um, sold to a DSO and and you know, I don't know if they had counsel or didn't have counsel on their deal, but, um, and they say, Hey, you know, I sold to this DSO and, can you look at my contract and let me know? Cause I want to go do X, Y, and Z. You know, I want to go open a practice in another state or I want to, you know, do a consulting gig. Mm -hmm. And then you, they're like, can you look at my agreement? So we look at their agreement and say, no, you pretty much can't do anything because you signed a non-compete that says it's 25 miles from not only your office, but every office in the country that the DSO has now and in the future. So even if you do set up shop somewhere else and then they set up shop after you, you'd have to actually shut it down. Um, So no, you you can't, you cannot do that, right? And so- Well, no, that's
0: not right. I've got the answer, David. Right. Um, In fact, let's make this the shortest podcast of the season because I've heard, this was on Facebook, so I know it's true, that uh, non-competes and non-solicits are not enforceable anymore. I'm sure, pretty sure there was a Supreme Court decision or something that says there's no such thing as a non-compete anymore. So uh, case closed. We can just move on from the topic, right?
1: No, uh, we can't move on yet. Um, I, I've heard the same thing. I've heard rumblings. Uh, I know that there's a possibility that that changes. But as of now, that has not changed. Um, and the other thing, too, is we don't know if if things do change, if that's going to be retroactive and just say that everything that you've signed in the past is null and void, or if it's going to be moving forward, like from now on, this is what the, what the law is. So we don't know the answer to that. Uh, but you know, so I think that the key is to understand that non-competes are, are there. Um, they're also, there's a, there's an element to it of the legal and there's a practical reality as well. And the legal reality is what your contract says. The practical reality is, you know, is it, in, you know is it infor- is it practical is it enforceable is it you know and then if you the pr- practically like let's say that you feel it's not or your attorney feels it's not is it a good idea to just go do it you know to breach the, yeah. breach what you agreed to in the agreement and then you have the the whole thing of like well then you're gonna get sued and they have more money than you and they're yeah. back for private equity and yeah.
0: you know that whole thing so no, it's not. I've, and I'm not. I mean, I've got an MBA on a law degree, right? I mean, I, I took a few law classes and things, but just intuitively, right? Um, the the whole system of our country rests on this assumption of private property, right? And private property uh, implies ownership. And ownership um, means that something has to be enforceable at some point, right? It, it, my neighbor can't start building a shed in my driveway. And right. you know, I, I get to remove the shed. If he starts to build a shed on my driveway. And so like if I am selling something of value and someone forks over millions of dollars, um, to me, it doesn't make sense that we would ever get rid totally of non-competes because at a fundamental level, the value of a dental practice rests largely, not entirely, but largely in the face-to-face relationship between a doctor and their patient. And that relationship can travel. And so it makes sense to me intuitively that um, restrictive covenants will always be a thing, um, at least on some level. And whether or not, you know, it's uh, we could, of course, get into the legalities of specifics and states and uh, software engineers versus dentists and some of these, you know, it, uh, uh, you a know, layer down from what we're talking. But it just drives me crazy when I do see the, co- oh, yeah, non-competes are not enforceable. So no stress. Open up that practice next door, no big deal. Okay. Uh, and and then the next thing they do, they, to, they find themselves in court. So right, uh, yeah, okay. yeah.
1: I mean, states don't like restraint on trade, right? And right. so, in many states, non-competes are are not valid because they restrain trade. But the invalidity doesn't mean that there aren't, aren't exceptions. Um, and one of the exceptions across the board, for the most part, is where there's a sale of goodwill in a business. That usually is the exception because the state is saying we don't want to restrain trade. We want people to we don't want to stop people from making a living. But at the same time, we have to have some checks and balances and we have to protect those that are purchasing uh, a business or purchasing assets. And, um, you, you know, we we need to protect them in that process. And so usually the exception is going to be if goodwill is sold in a business. And that's why you'll often see in these legal agreements where the non-compete will say, You know, the parties agree that the non-compete is inextricably tied to the goodwill sold in the deal, because that's how they sort of bring it full circle and make it, you know, put teeth in it. So long story short, um, non-competes are can be enforceable for the most part. They're enforceable. Um, Certainly it has to be within the confines of what the law of the state
0: is provides, but it doesn't mean that they're not enforceable if they're done correctly. Plan on them being enforceable, and don't plan to go into a legal battle with an entity with uh, many tens of millions of dollars more than you have. Uh, right. Even, yeah. if, even if you're right, you can still lose. So yeah, and, and the and the
1: other thing too is you know, a lot of doctors think, well, okay, sure, I understand a non compete with a private buyer ten miles from my office, eight miles from my office, twelve wherever you know wherever they live it, um, is going to depend on how long the, the mile radius is, but um, They think in a DSO deal because it's so much broader than a private deal that that must not be enforceable or that's crazy. And I can't tell you how many dentists will tell me, yeah, they have not competed in my LOI. It's not. I know it's not enforceable in this state. You know, and It's like, well, actually, it might be right because the stakes are higher. It's not just selling goodwill to the DSO. You're actually taking stock in their business, in the business. So or retaining stock in your own. And therefore, you know, not, the stakes are higher because you're an owner. It's it's not just that you sold goodwill, but you're also an owner and a stockholder. So there's the stakes are higher as far as that's concerned as well. So you yeah. definitely want to talk to your attorney about the enforceability of it um, when you do a DSO deal. Now, look, if you're going to retire in three years and you're selling to a DSO and you have a three-year employment agreement, it's probably a moot point, right? I mean, right. non-compete may not make a difference, but many of our clients are... Younger doctors that have a lot of life left to practice, and and when I say life left, I don't mean that the the retiring doctors are going to die. I just mean like life as a dentist in their dental practice. Um, and and that I mean the non compete is a big deal for
0: those doctors because they're they have to make a living for a lot longer. Let's talk definitions. Uh, I hear non compete, non solicit. Um, I hear um, There's another phrase I'm missing right now. But is there a difference between, uh, you know, what, I guess, what goes into a non-compete in just plain English?
1: Yeah. So a non-compete is typically where the buyer is telling the seller that they cannot engage in any business that's competitive with them, with the buyer, which typically is the practice of dentistry or ownership of any dental practices, either directly or indirectly, um, or working as a consultant and providing management services because that's what the dso does is they they provide management services so that also could be included in that yeah. where they're not allowed to actually like provide dental management services or consulting mm-hmm. um, those are it, it's saying that the doctor can't do those things for usually for a certain period of time okay and within a certain mile radius typically now, you know, Louisiana's the exception. Typically, um, they'll carve out parishes, but the rest of the country typically is a mile radius. And the standard in most states is a reasonability standard where it's like the smallest parameter that could legitimately protect the buyer without prejudice to the seller. And it's kind of hard to argue prejudice to the seller if you just sold for tons of money and um, you have stock in the company, you know, and all that kind of stuff, you know, whereas like, if we're talking about an associate right out of dental school and they have a 50 mile non-compete and they got dental school loans, I mean, that could be prejudicial to have like some massive non-compete for a dentist right out of school. So like that's, you know, the state, it's not like doctors that come to me and say, well, what's the standard in, uh, you know, New York 10 miles. And it's like, well, no, it depends on the circumstance and where you are and, you know, and all that. So, um, non-compete is really there to say that the buyer, can't engage in any business that's similar or competitive to... Or the seller can't engage in any of that business that's similar to what the buyer does. Does it typically
0: touch uh, patients and staff somehow? Is it just the doctor?
1: Um, well, it, the, the non-compete doesn't extend to patients and to, to, to staff to the extent where like it binds the staff to not compete because the staff isn't a, a, a part of that agreement. But the non-solicit which is another aspect of the restrictive covenant, you've got the non-compete and then typically you're gonna have a non-solicit. We'll, we'll we'll always say for the most part that the doctor can't treat any of the patients unless it's working for with the DSO. Okay. They can't solicit any of the patients. They can't hire or solicit any of the employees. And sometimes it'll say that they can't accept referrals or solicit uh, referral sources, particularly for specialist practices. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those are kind of, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, while it doesn't bind, for example, the employees of the practice to the non-compete because they're not part of the agreement, it definitely binds the selling party to not hire
0: those people and to not, um, solicit them. Can a dentist get around this somehow by kind of um, shifting from one specialty to another GP, go and work at a pedo office, pediatric dentist, going to work at a general or, a you know, an oral surgeon just kind of doing locum tenens work here and there for general offices around an area or something like that. Like how, um, is there a way that a dentist can kind of use the specialty system as a way around this?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, most It depends on the language that's in the the legal agreement. Uh, But like, for example, let's say it's an orthodontic practice sale and and the non-compete says that that doctor can't practice, quote unquote, orthodontics. Mm. Um, Well, then, yeah, then I I would say that it would not apply Mm -hmm. if they want to do oral surgery or, you know, other facets of, of dentistry.
0: Okay, got it. And then you talked about radius. You mentioned the parish system, Louisiana. Um, is it ever the case? Will, will anybody ever do like a drive time radius? Like, you know, because a fifth. It, when I hear a radius, I hear a circle on a map. Uh, but is it is it um, you know fifteen miles as the crow flies, or is it fifteen miles as the car drives? Like, how is this calculated?
1: That's correct. It's it's as the crows flies um, in in essentially every circumstance.
0: Got it. Um, There is a, maybe you should put in the show notes, but there is a tool uh, with Google maps where you can actually draw a circle. It's kind of fun. I figured out how to use it. Yeah, I've done that. It's awesome. Um, We'll see. Okay, so let me think. And then, so I've got the radius Uh, in the non-compete, I guess, what else is included? Is there, we talked about reps and warranties in the last podcast where we talked about um, penalties. is it the same principle here, where if I violate a non-compete, like there's a dollar value assigned per patient, per staff member I solicited, per referral source I, I sneakily tried to get around, or or is it the same general principle where it just kind of says, hey, if you if you break this agreement, we can come after you, and and it's a little more broad that way.
1: Usually, there is no liquidated damages or you know or penalty for non. For competing, usually you just get sued and they would look at the actual damages incurred. Yeah. Um, for a non-solicit, that's different. You're going to get some agreements that don't have liquidated damages, but many of them do that say like, you nailed it. Um, X amount of dollars per employee, X amount of dollars per patient. Um, so yeah, they definitely, um, will, will add those for the non-solicit.
0: How, and then, um, let me ask maybe, Two more questions. First, it's a, how are they gonna find out question? And then a second is, where do you see people get in trouble here? We talked a little bit up front, but I'm wondering about specific examples. But um, um, yeah, it, let's start there, David. Those last two questions, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that the dental community is small. And I mean, I think the biggest way to find out is that word travels pretty fast. Also yeah. too, um, some of these DSOs might have People that work within that are on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. looking to track where doctors are. Most of the time in this day and age, people's faces pop up on websites if they're gonna be at another office, um, either for their own marketing purposes or if they're working for someone else for their marketing purposes. I've definitely seen clauses and agreements, and and it's been sort of a negotiation battle where it'll say that the seller isn't knowingly soliciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the argument there is like. They're in another practice and a patient comes in. How do they know that they were a patient of the other practice? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it almost like creates this loophole because then the doctor can say, well, I just didn't know. Right. And then right. the plaintiff, the pl- the burden of proof is on the plaintiff. So the, the plaintiff, the DSO would have to prove that the person knew and they don't even want to go there. So they're just going to say, no, we don't want to have to even go that down that road. Got so, yeah, yeah. So that's. Okay. The answer there.
0: And, and uh, one more question, if I can add one, and because this sounds very similar to private deals, and um, I haven't heard a lot of differences in like DSO non-competes versus private deal non-competes. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, where do you see the biggest differences?
1: And that's an awesome question, and I think that goes back to. What we always like to talk about on these podcasts which is like why are we talking about this here and and why is it so important in a dso deal aside from the fact that it's just a component of essentially any sale of a of a dental practice is the non-compete scope is going to be far broader in a dso deal than it is in a in a private deal now there's one particular dso out there where their non-compete is lesser than you'd find in any private deal and they're one of the more doctor-friendly DSOs and people love working with them. And granted, they do sort of joint venture deals. And so the doctor is still a partner. And it's kind of like, well, they would not want to compete if they're a partner typically. But the fact is, the non-competes are very laid back, um, even, even to the point where if it was a private deal, the lender might not lend. But that aside, and that's a very, very small exception, non-competes are going to be massive uh, most of the time in a DSO deal. And like I said, you know, before there was that example we talked about where it was 25 miles from every location that that DSO has in the whole country now or in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also seen in the most
0: extreme- I wanna wanna reiterate that. I wanna pause on that for a second. Okay, 25 miles from any location I have now or any location I may have in the future. Um, So if I really don't like a doctor, and they start up a practice somewhere else, I'll just go buy a practice next door to them. Right, exactly. The- <laughs> right, you could under that situation. Yeah.
1: So it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's very broad. I mean, they're basically saying we don't want you practicing for anyone else ever than us. And that's okay, potentially, if you don't have many more years left that you want to practice. But if you have a lot of years left, sometimes things don't work out. And it may not even be your fault. You may want to continue. It could be the DSO that lets you go. And then you have this, this, non-compete that's very broad. And so what's important is to try to narrow the scope. You know, we talked about the, you know, the one example that was sort of the extreme that's super small. Well, there's also, we've seen an oral surgery DSO where they start with the whole United States of America. Like it literally just says, yeah. you cannot do this in the entire country. And, you know, they usually will allow negotiating that, that down just because most doctors wouldn't wanna do business with them. Right. But you're gonna find, you know, pretty much you're gonna find the extremes, but everything is pretty much in the middle somewhere. And the middle is still very broad. Um, I mean, the mile radius is usually between 15 and 25 miles. um, And it's usually, it's absolutely from any of your offices as a doctor, Mm -hmm. but almost always, there are some DSOs that don't, but almost always it's going to be from any location that they have. Um, and then some add that future language, which is really difficult and unfair, um, I find. But, um, you know, that's and, and, you know, their argument, too, with that is, well, we're also protecting our network. Like if you join us, we can promise you that there won't be another doctor in our network that opens yeah. up near you because it's almost like protects the territories. That's kind of their explanation. It's kind of fascinating. But ultimately, what everybody here needs to know is that you're not compete's going to be pretty massive. and. We're not talking about this to scare you people who do DSO deals have a lot of success and they love what they're doing but it's to inform you about what you're getting into yep. that, you know it's just a different type of deal and there's you weigh the benefits versus the burdens yep yes you have a higher non-compete but you also got more money
0: yeah um, you know that kind of thing 15 to 25 miles is starting mark um, so you know Dubuque Iowa is it possible to go higher than 25 and then if i'm in compton or you know manhattan upper west side somewhere like is it possible i could see lower than that or should i just assume if i see a smaller than 15 and larger than 25 that i need to review that with uh and, and maybe negotiate that with my attorney
1: or yeah, something I, I think that you know technically if it's very rural area the non-compete probably is going to be bigger and if it's in a very uh um you know popularized area, like a city like Manhattan, like you said, I mean, that's going to be usually smaller. Yeah. Um, it's still, I would say in New York, I mean, I've done a DSO deal in Manhattan. I would say that it's still bigger than probably it should be, um, but it's not. The
0: the whole yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, what's a typical time frame Is it going to line up with my agreement, with my employment agreement with the DSO? Like, So if I have a five-year working agreement, is it a five-year non-compete or is it sometimes longer? Like how does that, how does the timing work?
1: Yeah, that's a really important question. And everybody needs to know the answer to this. There are different non-competes in your deal. You're going to have a non-compete in your purchase agreement that's related to the sale of the Goodwill and, and, you know, sale of your assets. You're going to have a non-compete in your, as a stock owner, and you're going to have a non-compete as an employee. And so it's really important to see, are those consistent? If they're not consistent, is that fair? Um, and then also understand that the non-compete in the employment agreement is typically going to be a tail. When what I mean by that is, you might have a five-year non-compete in your purchase agreement, but your employment agreement is going to say it's another blank amount of years after your employment agreement terminates. Okay, got it. And so, like, if 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 you have a five-year non-compete and you and you work for five years as an employee you're going to have another couple of years of a non-compete after you've terminated your employment and so as a doctor you might say well wait let's say it's two years so it's not really a five year it's a seven year non-compete and the answer is yeah that's actually true but think about it you're not really a threat to the dso while you're with them you're a threat when you leave um you know if you if you're with them for five years and you walk out and open up next door the next day that's going to be pretty bad for them. So ultimately um, it makes sense. But yes, you have to understand that that will tail that. And there will be a tail on the stock. Usually the stock's only a year or two. Mm. Um, Usually the employment agreements, you know, maybe two to
0: three years.
1: And then usually it's about
0: five years in the- uh, What's the trigger on the stock that I sell the stock? So it's my non-compete is X number of years after I sell my exist, whatever remaining portion I have in the stock.
1: Correct. I mean, sometimes it's during the term of you owning the stock. But then typically it'll be for a year or two after you've sold and you're no longer a stock owner. That makes sense. Cool.
0: Okay. Well, I thought we could wrap this up just by saying non-competes are not enforceable. We decided that's not the case. There are multiple different um, non-competes in a DSO deal. They tend to be more restrictive than a private deal. Um, and there are you know radii and, um, and lengths of time that are things to think about. And the fact that if you, you know, violate the non-compete, just by signing a non-compete, you're opening yourself up to the potential for litigation, where even if you're in the right, you got to battle somebody and you're going to have to pay attorney fees and everything else. So this is uh, an important topic, something to consider. Um, David, uh, anything uh, else to say before we wrap up?
1: No, I think, I think this is great conversation. And it's something that I lecture on for even longer. And, you know, obviously there's, there's more to, to be investigated, but this is really what people need to know in a nutshell. And um, I'm just excited that they have the knowledge.
0: Well, you guys, thanks for listening. This has been episode six of the DSO decision, episode seven. We're gonna talk about working after you buy the, or after you sell to the DSO, the, the employment uh, post-sale. Uh, and I can't wait to talk with you guys on the next episode.